stories in the end. Just make it a good one, eh? Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. And welcome to episode 19, How About Something Unnerving? Uh, First, I'm going to get some business out of the way. I have a new book of word jazz. If you know me at all, you know that uh, for about five years, I was the host of the Moth Story Slam here in Chicago. And I decided uh, every show to, instead of opening with sort of stand-up or just commentary or even a story, I would start with about a minute-long piece of what I called word jazz, but it basically was just poetry, that would break down the theme for the night. And the reason I did that was that I noticed when I first got hired as the Moth host that a lot of the Moth hosts were, in fact, stand-up comics. And I noticed that most of the stories in any given Moth Story Slam out of 10, most of them were funny stories. And I thought that was a little bit limiting. Didn't really have as much, you know, seasoning as I wanted for an evening of stories. And so I I decided I would start with something a little bit more offbeat, a little more serious. And that would get people to understand that they had a lot more colors to paint with when they told their stories. That is exactly what happened. We ended up having great pastiches of everything from funny to poignant to tragic. That was what I really liked about our moth at Haymarket Pub and Brewery. So what I decided to do was to take uh, some of the best of those word jazzes and put them together in a book. It is available on Amazon.com. It is entitled Like a Burning Moth with No Idea How He Caught on Fire, a collection of word jazz by Don Hall. You can find it on Amazon.com by searching Like a Burning Moth. The paperback is $10. The Kindle edition is $3.99. I hope uh, you get a chance to download it or buy it and read it, and I hope you enjoy it. Second, patreon.com slash peculiar journeys. Here's the deal. $1 a month, it might seem like tiny potatoes to you. It's a buck a month. But if you kind of bunch it all up, if a whole bunch of you do that and go that route, that helps me out so much to ensure that this podcast is consistent and of the highest caliber. A couple of bucks would go a long way to help that out. I'd love to have your help. Go to patreon.com slash peculiar journeys and become a patron as soon as you can. If you'd like to, would love it. And finally, we've got lots of Chicago-based events to go see. We have uh, Identity Flip. We have the sickest fucking stories I ever heard. Coming up soon is Bug House, our second edition of Bug House. It went really, really well last month, and we're excited to be doing it again. So that's the business. All right, today is October 30th, at least that's when this episode is dropping, and it is the day before Halloween. I'm not a big fan of Halloween. I make it no secret that I'm not a big fan of Halloween. A lot of it has to do with just sort of damage, not damage. My mom didn't damage me. But mom was very enthusiastic as a young mom about Halloween. She still is as an older mom. Except for the fact that now she can't force me to wear costumes that I don't like and force me to go trick-or-treating. I'm not going to get into the specifics. She and I disagree on exactly how things played out. She thinks I lived in an alternate universe. And, you know, maybe I did. Maybe I still do. But, uh, yeah, I don't like Halloween. Never been a big fan. Um, I, uh, the last time before last night, before the night before last night, I dressed up was got to be 20 years ago. And I was invited to an improv party 
and I bought a case of beer and I showed up and they wouldn't let me in the house because I wasn't in a costume. They hadn't told me that it was that I had to wear a costume and I wasn't going to wear a fucking costume. So I, I said, are you serious? You're not going to let me in the house. And they wouldn't. So I, I got mad and I cracked open the case of beer and I, I just started tossing beers past the guy through the door. Just tossing all 24 beers past him. And then I jammed my foot into the box of the, the empty box and I said, all right, there's my costume. I'm a fucking guy with a box for a foot. Get out of my way. And he did, and I went in and started gathering up my beers and then sat in a bad mood for the rest of the party just drinking beers in a bad mood with a box on my foot. So that was the last time I dressed up. Now, Dana, my wife, decided this this Halloween she wanted to have a Halloween party. And so absolutely went nuts in the house and rearranged everything and got decorations and candles and you name it and invited a bunch of her friends and... She dressed up as Medusa, and she was totally hot, sexy, and fun. She did this thing and colored her contacts, so that was really unnerving. I didn't really want to dress up, but there were a variety of options, and she finally landed on one that worked for me was I dressed up as Bob Dobbs uh, from the Church of the Subgenius, which basically meant I wore my slippers, my pajamas, my robe, and I walked around with a pipe. That was it. So I was dressed exactly the way I would have dressed had there been no party in my house. I dressed that way. And so it was very relaxing. I was super comfortable and I didn't care. So it wasn't, there was no precepts. I did. It was fine. Now, one of the things I realized at the party is we had a whole bunch of people in the house uh, drinking sort of that Halloween thing. We had scary movies playing in the kitchen. We had scary movies playing here in the living room. A lot of music. It was all kinds of stuff. And I grabbed a couple of people and said, tell me a scary story or a near death story. And so I got a couple of those stories. On top of that, when I recorded Mom, if you've listened to episode 14 uh, about Elvis, her stories about Elvis, my sister wanted to get into the act, and so I took her downstairs to the basement and recorded a story that you'll hear here in a little bit uh, about a near-death experience. So this is a whole series of short, creepy, scary, near-death or not-near-death stories just for this particular season. So I absolutely hope you enjoy them. And so now we are going to hear from first Allison King. My family and I were driving back to my parents' house from my grandmother's funeral. And I'd had a few Jack Daniels, as you do at an Irish funeral. So I opted not to drive. And we were heading back, and it was one of those two-lane farm roads and I had heard something a few days prior about a car accident where a seven-year-old girl was killed. And as we rounded this corner, I knew we were going to pass that spot. And I was thinking about her, and it was really kind of haunting. And as we made this turn, I all of a sudden noticed my dad wasn't stopping for the three or four cars that were ahead of us. And I kept yelling and screaming for him to stop. Do you notice these cars? And he didn't, and he veered, he somehow realized what was going on, and he veered into the left lane and hit a turning car, T-boned them, as a matter of fact, and we went and launched, literally launched 15 feet in the air over an embankment for a highway, and I just remember seeing sky, and then I remember seeing ground, and then we crashed, and 
miraculously, we were all okay. We'd flown about 30 feet down an embankment into a field. And it was a relief to find out literally everybody who'd been involved in this accident was fine. And it wasn't until we were in the ambulance after when my mom looked at me and said, that's how my brother died, that I got really freaked out. And so I'm going to thank my grandma for not letting two of her kids go that way. That was Allison. Um, now we're going to hear from Matthew Staten. Nobody really knew how old Paul was. He had a Bible, and in the front of it was a date written down where they say that was his birthday, but they didn't have a birth certificate for Paul. Nobody really knew how old he was, so that's why he was still working with me at the textile mill. That's why he hadn't retired. One night, we're working. I look over. I see Paul fall. I run over with some other people, and Paul has had a heart attack. Paul's dying. We're trying to save his life. He's looking at me. I can't save him. The ambulance comes, but Paul was already gone. It was sad, but we all love Paul, and he had lived a good life a long time. I'm driving home two weeks later from the middle of a night shift, so it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Long stretch of Georgia Road. You can see forever in both directions. It's dark. I'm on the road. There's one other car on the road. It's way ahead of me. I get closer. I realize this is a hearse traveling down the road ahead of me. I speed up. I go out to pass it. I'm right up beside it. I look to my right. The driver looks to his left, looks me in the eyes, and it's Paul. I drove home in a hurry that night. Very creepy. Um, now, this was just short. It's a friend of ours named Maro, and she had about a 30-second story to tell, so let's grab that one. I must have been 15 or 16 years old. I got really high and went to Green Bay, Wisconsin with my next-door neighbor, Rebecca. On the way home, I put my feet up on the dashboard as the passenger, and suddenly I was jolted forward and opened my eyes and we ran into a train. <laughs> we lived. <laughs> and finally, uh, from the party, Literate Ape contributor and local motive band lead and amazing guy, Mike Venopel. So when I was, uh, I wanna say it was probably 12 years old, I went to Devil's Lake in Wisconsin. Uh, we would go camping every year um, since I was like maybe nine. And it was a dads and kids only camp out and the moms would stay home. It was a bunch of neighborhood kids. Um, so we went up to Devil's Lake a couple years in a row. And this was a particularly important year because uh, I was getting older and me and my friends were getting into kind of the adventure outdoor thing. So we did a lot of climbing at Devil's Lake. Devil's Lake is uh, got, got like bluffs all the way around the lake and various like levels of difficulty and there's climbing sites where people actually set up, you know, ropes and uh, belay each other. But we were just kind of like free climbing one day all day just uh having a blast beautiful weather me and my dad my friend brad his brother kevin and we uh just had this amazing 
bird's eye view of the lake. We were we were even above the turkey vultures. It felt like, and uh, so we got to this point though where we were kind of at this rock face that we couldn't really climb without any gear. And mind you, I was, you know, I wasn't even 13 years old yet. And uh, and Kevin, Brad's little brother, was probably about 10 at the time. So we tried to walk around and find like a way back to the path and another another rock face, couldn't really get around it. And so we doubled back and then we walked the other way and sure enough, more rock face, more kind of unnavigable terrain, just a little too dangerous for my dad and a couple of kids uh, just having some fun. Um, so, you know, as kids, we started to panic and stuff, and my dad's trying to, you know, keep it all together, and and then Kevin, being the youngest, starts crying, and he's like, I just want to, I just want to get back to camp, and I should have never come, and so then there's like a real level of fear that's setting in with even us, the older kids in the group, and finally, we got to a part where we kind of like had to kind of scoot down on our bottoms a little bit. And we were all just a little tweaked out from everything. So we get back to the path finally. And everybody starts to kind of calm down a little bit. Because that was just like a little too close for comfort. We were just like, hey, we're going to, you know, your mind runs wild when you're in that kind of trapped zone. Fight or flight kicks in. You're like, I'm going to be trapped here forever. I'm, what am I going to eat? Am I going to freeze? All the worst possible scenarios come out. Fear consumes you. So we get back to the path, and you get to take a deep, deep sigh of relief. And uh, so it's one of those paths that's like made to look like, oh my goodness, this naturally laid stone path, how convenient. So you got these craggy kind of steps, uh, kind of concreted together in kind of a hodgepodge, and just winds through a little more rough terrain, and so we're just kind of walking down, just meandering down, and I'm in the back of the line, and we kind of come around this turn, a little slick rock kind of got me, and I slipped, and I was tired, I was maybe a little dazed, by, maybe I was in shock, I don't know, but I didn't really, really even call out, I just slipped and tumbled forward. And I went over, you know, I went over off the path and started to tumble and pick up speed. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was in front of me or anything. And I guess at some point they must have heard the, the rocks and uh, things just kind of being disturbed. And maybe I did cry out a little bit at some point. But it was kind of all a blur for me. And all of a sudden, as I felt like the ground disappear and I was just going to fall forever and, uh, you know, n maybe never never uh, see another day, um, this incredible pain shot through me as a, as a rock kind of jabbed into my armpit. And, uh, and I just kind of wrapped my arm around this rock and held on for dear life as uh, my dad came kind of, you know, scrambling down this, uh, this kind of, I don't know, stone uh, drop that I had tumbled down. And he grabs me and he pulls me up and I'm just like shaking because I was like, 
thought I was dead. And, um, you know, that's a lot for a young boy's mind to process all on its own. Um, But my dad, you know, checks me. He's like, you're okay, you're okay, you're okay. Hugs me, picks me up, and, like, kind of gets me back to the path. And I'm just shaking like a leaf. And uh, I kind of, like, held on to his shirt as I walked behind him the rest of the way down. And uh, so we got down to the ground, and I, I was I was traumatized as uh, as most people would be in that situation because uh, as we walked down, we got to take a look at what would have happened, you know, what would have been the the uh, end of that fall, and it was just like sharp sharp rocks, and uh, it would have definitely broke my spine, or at the very least been you know terribly uh, impaled or something like that. So. You know, at the end of the day, I was okay, but that was probably the closest near-death experience I ever had. So we're at the campfire that night, and everybody's, like, spooked, and, um, you know, we're making s'mores, and I'm just exhausted, and my dad's like, hey, you okay, Mikey? Uh, I go, yeah. Uh, He's like, we're going back up tomorrow. (laughs) I was like, fuck you, we're not going up tomorrow. Uh, you know, I was like, "What do you, you got to be kidding me, man?" Um, that seems cruel, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll never really uh, be able to thank my dad enough for some of the stuff that he did when I was growing up, where I didn't understand at the time and was like, "Hey, this is just mean," you know. And that was one of those times, because uh, sure enough, the next morning he woke me up and he was like, "All right, we're going back up that bluff, and you're gonna face your fears. Otherwise, you're gonna." you know, be paralyzed by them the rest of your life, and you don't want that, and uh, so we went up, and I was just shitting my pants with fear the whole time, um, and I didn't try anything crazy, I didn't do any free climbing that day, but I guess the moral of this story is is that he was right, you know, I it, it, it was important for me to get up there and know that that was just a little freak accident, and maybe... Uh, it was a you know a lesson to learn and to be more careful you know because you were on that path and you're like I've been free climbing all day maybe I maybe I got a little sloppy maybe I got a little uh, you know a little ahead of myself or something like that so but mad respect for my dad for making me go up even though it was probably very difficult for him uh, watching his kids just like just shaking with fear um, but I live to tell the tale. <laughs> and as promised, here is my sister, Vicki Brandenburg, talking about a near-death terror when she was fishing. Okay, my story is about catfishing 11 years ago. I took my kids and a bunch of friends and I, we went out and we camped about three, four days usually at Winfield Lake. Well, the night before, and there's this little jetty that I fish off of, and the camping is about maybe um, 50 feet away from that. So anyway, uh, the first night we were out there, I was fishing, and I had about six-inch goldfish as bait because I only wanted the big fish. I wasn't messing around. So the first night, nobody's fishing with me, and I catch a flathead that is about four feet long. And it takes me 30 minutes to pull him in. It's the first flathead I'd ever caught. It was amazing experience, and I'm exhilarated, whatever. 
So anyway, I catch him. That's not the main part of the story. So I unhook him and push him back out after a 30-minute fight to get him in. So I'm excited because I think they're biting. The fish are biting. Well, my oldest son, Sean, was 10 years old, and he had a couple buddies with him. And I thought, oh, you know, since the fish are biting, I want them to catch a fish. So the next night, in this jetty, maybe two people can fish there with plenty of room. I had about five poles because all these kids wanted to fish. So I get them all set up with these very expensive five to six inch goldfish and they fish for like an hour and they're done. Well, because I paid so much money for the goldfish, I thought I'm gonna untangle, the lines got all tangled because they were too close together. I thought I'm gonna untangle the lines and keep the goldfish for the next day. So I'm out there by myself. I'm in boxer shorts, a tank top and water shoes. And there's no moon, I have a little blue flashlight. So I'm standing in the water and the water's about uh, mid-calf uh, I've got the flashlight in my mouth and I'm trying my hands are out in front of me and I'm trying to untangle these lines because I want to save the goldfish that were expensive this goes on for maybe 10-15 minutes next thing I notice is a slight tickle on my left Achilles tendon just like a feather and I'm holding the line out in front of me and I look down and there is a gigantic black cotton mouth wrapped three times around my leg and he's not touching me he's like floating in the water but he's around my leg and I can his head was like huge and shaped like a diamond and he's chomping and I can see those paper fangs fold every time he's chomping well my first thought I don't move I don't breathe is he's not after me so as I'm I look over and the goldfish are flipping in the water where I was holding up the line and you know I knew he wasn't after me I'm watching him I'm scared to death and I thought I need to jump so I jumped he swam off really fast scared him worse than me and I cut those lines and that was the end of that scared me had to death Those are that was fun. Those are fun stories. A little creepy, a little bit of everything, you know that kind of thing. Um, and so now I want to I want to share with you a, a story. This is something where I was legitimately like freaked out, scared. Not like scared of a natural disaster, scared that I was going to get beat up, but like on a supernatural level, weirded out. My mom became a Christian before I did and remained a Christian long after I stopped being one. Um, and part of the reason I probably stopped being one, there's a lot of reasons that I stopped being a uh, Christian, but per perhaps part of it is because Jesus ruined rock music for me for a good chunk of time. And I will never forgive him for fucking up the good tunes. Now, in 1977, this cat named Russ Dizdar started an organization called Shatter the Darkness Ministries. You can look it up. He's still in. He's got YouTube stuff. Um, now, he sold uh, a, a group of tapes. These were cassette tapes um, all about satanic backmasking. It was a set of 10 cassette tapes. It was like 186 bucks for all 10 tapes. My mom was worried about me and my, you know, myself, my sister. So we were growing up. We were in high school, that kind of thing. And so she ended up buying this 10 cassettes tape set and made us listen to all of them so for hours and it's about you know it's, it's about 20 hours of material you've got this guy basically breaking down 
what he called satanic backmasking. Now, if you're familiar with the concept of backmasking, it's basically uh, taking rock songs and playing them backwards to find hidden messages. And you can find a lot of them, like there's one that's not satanic. Uh, if you listen to another one, Bites the Dust by Queen, and you play that backward, uh, there's a part that sound, it sounds very much like he's saying, it's fun to smoke marijuana over and over and over. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. Hey, hey. Another one bites the dust. Side the top, no one. 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 Um, if you listen to Hotel California, which is sort of satanic going forward, but if you're listening to the if you listen to the opening verse backwards, you can kind of hear the words, yes, Satan organized his own religion, and then a whole bunch of other like messages from the devil, all from this eagle song that already sounds kind of satanic. You know, there's the Turn Me On Dead Man from the Beatles, um, all kinds of stuff. And and so I, I kind of was inundated by this backmasking stuff. So that was I want you to keep that that was kind of in my brain. I was kind of freaked out all the time from this. And it's just really when you're indoctrinated, that's going to happen. So I, I really kind of became Satan obsessed. Um, in the 90s, went and saw the 1984 film Angel Heart. And I practically, and I've seen it since, and it's a great movie, but at the time, it was so intense, and I was so focused on the Satan is everywhere, and Satan is in pop culture, and Satan, 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 that I practically passed out as a, as a kid. Um, it really did a number on me. Also, now, here, that's one piece. Second piece is, I used to love the Leonard Nimoy-hosted In Search Of series. I mean, it was In Search Of Houdini. It was In Search Of Bigfoot. It was In Search Of UFOs. It was In Search Of The Meaning Of Stonehenge. And one he did was In Search Of about the Yorkshire Ripper. Now, the Yorkshire Ripper was in Yorkshire, England, and he was a serial killer, you know, and he was like Jack the Ripper, but modern. And he would leave tapes for the British police, and he would taunt them. He made fun of them because they couldn't catch him. And one of these really creepy-ass fucking tapes included, he basically was saying, you guys haven't caught me, you're awesome, and so I just want to leave this with you. And he plays Andrew Gold's Thank You for Being a Friend. If you were of a certain age, you probably associate that with the Golden Girls theme, but that, that was it, and he played that. I'm telling you, I had nightmares about that specific song for years. I mean, I absolutely, years I had nightmares about that song, okay? So I'm, I'm in this place, out of this thing. I've got all this kind of stuff going on. And one night, and I remember this like it was yesterday, I'm laying in my bed, and I had a waterbed. Um, that says, again, tells you, you know, how old I was in, in, the, in the time period. But I had a waterbed, and I was laying down, and I used to play the stereo uh, when I'd go to sleep. And the stereo was right next to me. And I would play the stereo, and I would just go to sleep to the music. And one night, I'm laying there, and I'm starting to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, Thank You for Being a Friend comes on. And I don't want to hear that fucking song. You know, it's satanic. There's something attached to it. It's creepy. I'm weirded out. And so I reach over and I turn the stereo off. But the stereo does not turn off. It won't turn off. I can't get the volume to go down. I can't get the power to stop. I start to get a little freaked. And so I, I, I get up. And it's all this time, Andrew Gold singing. And I get up and I, and you know, I walk over and I unplug 
the stereo because I want it to turn off and it still keeps playing. The stereo still continues to play, thank you for being a friend. And I'm starting to get really freaked out because at some point, my association with pop music had become uh, an instant association with Satan and this particular song was from a guy that brutally murdered women and taunted the police with it. So all of this stuff came to bear and I am completely spazzing out. My heart is racing, I'm sweating, I feel like I'm a pass out. I don't know what's going on. The walls feel like they're coming in. I, I, I take a, a chair and I start smashing my stereo with the chair and the music music still keeps playing and it will not stop playing and then I wake up from the dream and thank you for being a friend is playing and I reach over very quickly and I turn my stereo off and it actually turned off that time. So that was one of the scariest, I, that was absolutely one of the scariest experiences of my life completely fabricated and it reminds me that a lot of our fears are ginned up by a certain amount of indoctrination and repetition that if we hear the same thing over and over and we start to make those associations whether we like it or not our mind will play tricks on us and we will find irrational fear wherever we want to find it honestly I still get the creeps whenever I hear thank you for being a friend it still wigs me out so here's a thought, and one I tend to be reminded of. That's the podcast today. That the, the, the thing I need to be reminded of is it isn't the political barking that we do with each other that connects us. It's the stories. Stories give us really all an opportunity to hear that we are each not the center of things, and that by sharing our narratives, we can find better ways to come together and move forward instead of that static two steps forward, two steps back nature of the world. That it's not about winning unless we all win at the same time. And that is something that's very difficult to do when all you do is bark at each other. But when you tell stories to each other and listen to those stories, I think there's something uh, really pretty cool about that. All right, well, thank you. I want to thank my sister, Vicki, Allison King, Matthew Stanley, and Morrow and Mike Vinopal for their stories. And I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please consider writing a review on iTunes. It really does help. Peculiar Journeys is a bi-weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud. Um, thank you so much. Have a great uh, couple of weeks, and I will catch you in two.